0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. This morning I want to get into the Word. I'm ready to do that and want to uh, trust and believe God for great things. Now, I want to tell you something. This is something I'm going to kind of let you in on. I have seen some of the most incredible and powerful things take place in the least likely of meetings. Uh, so when I get in a situation like this, you know, a handful of people are going to be out and there's going to be kind of a, an abnormal environment, you can take on the mentality or the, the thought process that, you know, well we'll, well, we'll get through that. I actually get kind of excited about it because I think you're doing, God, you're doing something very intentional and special. In that this moment, now we're in a series, and so due to the moving parts of that series, uh, I believe that God's doing some intentional things working with that. And I want to get into the word about something very specific this morning. It does fit into our series. It means a whole lot to me personally because it's something that I see often in my life and in the lives of believers around me. So I want to give you a few things that we're going to find as we get into the word. If you're able to take some notes, I want to encourage that. These are a few things that you'll see as we go through the scripture here, uh, things to look for. One, we're going to find out uh, what we need in order to know God's perfect love. And knowing God's perfect love is a really wonderful and powerful thing. In fact, it's his perfect love that removes fear and anxiety from our lives. Uh, When God's perfect love exists in the life of a Christian, we stand out in the world. I mean, in the midst of of disaster and catastrophe and all kinds of, of fallout, whether it is Uh, uh, with people's health or whether it's with financial or whether, no matter what, Christians are able to stand with a stability that causes them to to look different than the rest of the world. And that stability is really by God's design drawing people into his kingdom. I mean, when people see your life and see the stability that exists in your life, it's a desirable thing. And we're going to find out the things that are needed in order to see that perfection, that perfect manifestation of God's love exists in our life, removing all fear and anxiety. A second thing we're going to find is what we need in order to be consistent. That may not sound like a big deal, but consistency is a really powerful thing. I mean, when I became a Christian, I was so excited because I finally was able to shake free from things that once had a grip on my life, things that were destructive, things that were violent, things that were were immoral, things that were unethical, all of these things that were just sin and corruption, I could finally step out of those things. Now, once I stepped out of those things, the key was then to live outside of those things and not go back for visits, not to have good days and bad days and good days and bad days and good days and bad days or even good years and bad years, to be consistent. There's something that's necessary for consistency and we'll see what that is. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what is needed for revival. when I say revival, I'm talking about in your life. I mean, really and truly, revival, by definition, requires something to be dead. You can't revive something that's not dead. So revival is is bringing the power, the life of God into any aspect of your life where that's necessary or that's needed. And we'll see the things that are needed in order for that revival to exist. So as we get into the Word, I want to jump right in. We're going to pick up where we've been leaving off in the series Uh, 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open up to those passages. 1 John chapter 4. Now verse 7 begins like this, Beloved. Now I like to stop there and just acknowledge something. That's not just a classy way to start a sentence. It's, It's an addressing to the person that is receiving this information. It would be as if I wanted to speak to Pastor Jared and I said, Jared, I need you to do something for me. It's a way to get that person's attention in order to begin the transfer of information. Beloved is acknowledging you as the Christian, as the believer, as the beloved of God. This is written to you. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. It goes on to say in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want to talk about that for just a second as we begin to move forward. The concept of knowing and loving God is established here as going hand in hand. I mean, knowing God and knowing that God is love is an absolute necessity for us to function and operate in the call that God's placed upon our lives to express love to one another. That's really why we're talking about this. I mean, we use the word love so often it becomes common. I mean, we talk about things that we, you know, you could watch a movie and say, I love that movie. I mean, you could eat a pizza and say, I love this pizza. It's just become a word to express that something is enjoyed or liked. But the word love is a powerful thing that needs to be understood, and it needs to be understood uh, very intentionally because of all of the wonderful benefits that come and conditions that are laid upon love's presence and release through our life. I mean, in fact, eternal life is connected with knowing God and that he is love. The, the idea of having fear and anxiety removed from our life is connected to the idea and the concept of God's love existing in our life. So I think it's important for us to step into a mentality that wants to pursue what exactly love is, to see to it that it doesn't just become another common word in our vocabulary. So in doing that, we've gone to the Bible for a definition. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we've been looking, and it's been a foundational passage in the series. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, give a definition of love. It opens up with the words, love is... So love is, and now you have this list of descriptive words that identify what make up love. And it's not that love is one of these things or another of these things, but it's that love is all of these things all of the time. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The idea that love never fails is really what I want to wrap my mind around, and I want us congregationally to wrap our minds around, that in any situation where success is needed in our life, the one thing that we can inject into that situation that is guaranteed to bring success, is love, because love never fails. And in this case, we've talked about what makes up love. We've talked about patience. That was several weeks back. We've talked about kindness. We've talked about not envying. We've talked about not bragging and being arrogant, not behaving unbecomingly, not seeking our own. We've talked about all of those things, and today we're going to talk about love not being provoked. Now, when I've spoken about this, I've talked about love and just as a, a bit of a, a test in my own life, I've asked myself, can I say these things? And for me, the person that I, I use the word love a lot, actually. I mean, I'll, I'll say it on the phone, I'll text it. In fact, it's, it, I get in, in such a, a, a mode of saying it, it's become such a big part of my vocabulary, I have to be very careful, you know? I mean, I could end a business meeting and shake someone's hand and be like, well, I love you. And they would kind of look at me like, well, okay. In fact, the, just yesterday, I was at a, a meeting, and in this meeting, there were, were two people sitting, and I was standing, and I was going to speak to one of them, and a, a man walked up, and he just said this. He, you know, he, I thought he was talking to me, and he, he said, uh, can I ask you something personal? And I, I just thought, whoa. And then when I looked up, I noticed he was talking to someone else, and I thought, yes. I don't have to answer a personal question. I turned around, and I got out of there. But in this case, we talk about the word love, and I often, you know, will, will say, I love you to my wife. I mean, it's part of our, our lifestyle, it's in our vocabulary, it's, it's within our, our vows and our commitment to one another and the covenant that we operate in. But over years, it's become very easy for me to say, I love you. I can write it in cards, I can, I can write it on notes, I can say it, I love you. Could I just as easily say, I'm patient with you? Could I just as easily say, I'm kind? Could I just as easily say all of these things that make up love? And if not, then I need to visit my definition of what love is. And that's really why we're doing the things that we're doing here in the scripture. And today we're talking about love and it not being provoked. Now this is a really interesting part of what makes up love in my life because this is a challenge for me. I feel a lot of provocation in my life from a lot of areas. I mean, Some people feel it in different measures, some are more intense, some I think that I'm wired pretty tight, I've loosened up a lot over the years, praise God, but love not being provoked is a really wonderful and powerful attribute of love itself. And the idea that we could be those who carry God's love and release God's love should be the idea that we can be those who aren't provoked by things outside in the world. So I want to talk about this for a second. And I think before we just take off talking about it, we need to understand what we're talking about. So oftentimes we go to the dictionary. I mean, if we want to understand what the Word of God says, we need to understand the words that make up the Word of God. So we go to the dictionary and we look up the word provoke. When I look up the word provoke, these are some definitions that came my way. I want to share them with you. To stir up purposefully. I've got two children at home, and I think there's a whole lot of provocation going on. You know, they will, will, will bicker and fight, they'll do something to get the other one upset, and this is something that they do, and they do it because they're children, because of immaturity. Another definition is to cause someone to become angry, violent, etc. And if you break down the word, it's made up of two parts, you know, you have pro and voke, pro meaning forward, and uh, vogue coming from a word meaning to call, so you're calling someone out, that's really what you're doing. If someone were to come and provoke you, I mean, we use that term today, you know, are you calling me out? Someone is trying to pick a fight. They're trying to draw you out. When something is provoking, what it's doing is it's calling you out. When I hear that, I have to think about that for a second. And I think, well, I'm familiar with that vocabulary. You know, some guy drives by and flips me the bird. He's provoking me. Some guy drives by and flips me the bird. He's calling me out. Well, where is he calling me out of? And as a Christian, he's calling me out of the place of being surrendered to Jesus. As a Christian, he's calling me out of the place of peace and joy and righteousness. As a Christian, he's calling me out of that place that God has placed me, and he's calling me out into his world, his world where it's okay to drive by and flip someone off. I mean, that's a goofy example, but the point is made. It's a calling out to draw you out from where there is the protection and the security of the things of the kingdom into a place where there's vulnerability and risk. Now, the word provoke is in the scripture there, and your Bibles may say not easily provoked. If it doesn't use the word provoke, it's going to use something similar. When you go to a concordance, which is a wonderful Bible study tool, and you look at the original language here and its it's translation or its interpretation, there's a word that's used that we don't use every day, and I think it's a good word for us to think about. It's exasperate. Exasperate. That's E-X-A-S-P-E-R-A-T-E. Exasperate. I mentioned my kids, you know, in dealing with their nonsense and they're provoking one another. I'll say provoke all the time. Quit provoking your brother. Quit provoking your brother. I don't think I've ever said, stop exasperating your brother. You know, I mean, they would probably stop and look at me like, What? But I've said quit-provoking a lot, but exasperating is actually a good, solid, strong word, and it's really the word in this situation. It's just kind of fallen out of style to use that word, so it's not in our translation or interpretation that we read. But exasperate by definition. If you go back to the definition here, here's what you're going to find. Irritated or annoyed, especially to the point of injudicious action. Injudicious meaning like bad judgment. Bad judgment. So let's go back to our silly example. Guy driving by flipping me the bird, right? Uh, Which of these is good judgment? Keep driving? Just keep on driving? Don't worry about it? Or get behind him, start honking your horn, flipping him off again, telling him to pull over, let's get out and do this. Which one of those is good judgment? Which one of those is bad judgment? If we get drawn out, we're getting drawn out or called out. Called out from where? Called out from good judgment. This world is constantly provoking us to be drawn out or called out from good judgment into bad judgment. And when we allow provocation to win in our lives, we're drawn out and drawn away from good judgment. We are called out of good judgment to step into bad judgment. And it's there that choices are made that are compromised and consequences or results are undesirable. It starts to make sense why the world has so much provocation in it. Because your enemy, my enemy, all things satanic and all things demonic are looking to call you out from the place of good judgment. To draw you out of the place of good judgment into the place of potential compromise. They're trying to exasperate you. To cause you to compromise your judgment. Now, when you think about this, we're faced with these things a lot. And we have tendencies. I mean, immature tendencies are tendencies to react. Uh, Again, I can refer to my children. They're they're twins. They're they're twin boys. They're 10 years old. So you're dealing with uh, uh, immaturity. They're they're, they're still developing their maturity and their life experience and their their decision-making and thought-making processes are, are still growing. So they make a really great example here. They're constantly reacting to each other. If you reach over and you grab my food off my plate needed, I'm going to turn around and hit you, you know. I mean, it's just a reaction. You do this, I'm going to do that. But we have a call on our lives to go beyond reacting. When someone is provoking or trying to draw us out of good judgment, maturity leads us to a place to abandon the recklessness of reaction and step into the productivity of responding. I want to give you these definitions. If you just look up the word react, okay, react by definition, Uh, to reciprocate, a counteracting force or influence. That means to hit back, basically. Uh, To behave or change in a particular way when something happens or is said, once again. And if you break down that word re and act, re meaning back or again, act meaning perform. I'm going to play back to you what you just did to me. You cuss me, I'm going to cuss you. You push me, I'm going to shove you. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Reaction. Then response. Listen to the definition of respond. Respond by definition. To have a particular or planned answer to something. And the other definition, to me, is a little stranger, but when, when you think about it, it starts to make sense. It says, to be answerable. I mean, I don't use that word. To be answerable. Answerable just is even kind of a mouthful to say. But let's just take a bowl and move it to be able to answer. If you're going to do that to me, I have a prepared response. You're going to walk up and shove me, I have a prepared response. You're going to drive by, flip me the bird, I have a prepared response. You're going to do this thing that I didn't see coming, I still have a prepared response. That before I give in to being drawn out of good judgment to make compromised choices and decisions that will lead to undesirable consequences... I have a prepared response, a prepared response to pause, to think, to look at my what would Jesus do bracelet. It's not a who would Jesus hit bracelet. It's a what would Jesus do bracelet. God's calling us to live a life that we're able to respond. And what do we respond with? We respond with his word. We respond with all of the insight and the direction and all of the wonderful counsel that he's blessed us with. And he's given us his spirit to bring to our memory the word that we need in the right moment. it's this wonderful system that God has assigned and established through relationship to be in our lives to lead us from reacting to destruction to responding to prosperity. We're able to step into the most adverse of situations and circumstances where provocation is trying to draw us out of good judgment and we're able to hold firm with a predetermined plan. A predetermined plan being the instruction of Jesus Christ. So all of this sounds ideal, right? I mean, I hear that and I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds good. Sign me up for that. But easier said than done. I mean, I can hear that and I can say, amen, Pastor You know That's a good word and and that sure sounds nice, but then I can go get in my car and the next time somebody provokes me, I could be right back in it. I want to know how to do this. I don't want to just know that I should be doing it. So I want to look at the word to get a couple of of things established that I think make this a realistic and achievable thing in our lives. I mentioned to you before we're going to find out something that what we needed to be consistent. I want to be consistent. I don't want to be one who responds one day And then the next day I'm provoked and I react. And then I've got my act together and and I'm responding here. And then maybe I'm a little hangry or something didn't go my way or something. And so something comes along and it provokes me and I react over here. I want to be one that can be consistent and steady and able to respond with that predetermined plan, that direction and that counsel of Jesus in every situation and circumstance. And I think there's something that is the key to that. I want to share with you what I believe the key is, and we'll see if the Spirit of God bears witness in you the same thing. So I mentioned before we're going to find out what we need to be consistent. I think we find that in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. When I see this, when I read this, I see the ability to be consistent. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at a couple of passages here deep into the chapter. We're going to look at verses 46 through 49. So whenever you see Jesus speaking, whether he's speaking to a a group that's huge or a group that's small, I think it's important to put yourself in that group. And what I mean by that is just consider that he's actually saying this to you. I mean, God is sovereign over the Scripture and the recording of the Word of God. If he didn't want something in there, he could have easily left it out. But this is in there on purpose, and it's in there so that when you open up to that page, when you put your eyes to those words, you are receiving directly from God. He's speaking this to you. Now, here we see in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46, Jesus is speaking, and let's just put ourselves in that place where he's speaking to us. He says this, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I'm saying? So basically what he's saying there is, why are you inconsistent? I mean, that's just a good way to look at that. It's not an insult. Jesus isn't trying to, to secure a position or bully or shove. When you know who Jesus is, you can read this and you can rightly understand it. He's never trying to strengthen his position by weakening yours. That's really what bullying is by definition. He's saying this, and he's saying this to our benefit. So we need to not hear it and think, wow, that's insulting. We need to hear this and realize, wow, he's ministering to something here, and we ought to pay attention. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? He's just basically saying, why is it that there's inconsistency in your life? And he goes on to say this, in response to that, as he sets it up, why is there inconsistency in your life? That's the headline. Now here's the article. Why is there inconsistency in your life? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and then acts on those words. I will show you who he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug a deep foundation, and he laid that foundation on the bedrock. And when a flood occurred and the waves and wind blew and burst against that house, it could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly, he's like the man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And when that wind burst against it, it immediately collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. So pardon me for throwing waves in there. Whenever I think of great wind, I think of Jesus talking about, you know, the wind and the waves on the sea. But he's talking about a storm. He's talking about two things being constructed in two different styles. Both endure a storm, a storm of the same magnitude, but one stands and the other doesn't. He's talking about two things. He's comparing and contrasting two things. Both of these things are provoked by the same measure. That storm, that wind is the provocation. Both of these things have the same attempt to make them inconsistent. You're standing one day, you're in ruins the next. And these two things have a single difference. One has a a well-built intentional foundation and the other does not. When I see inconsistency excuse me, in my life, I realize this is a foundation issue. When I see that one day I'm doing great, the next day I'm not, when I see that I can be provoked, that I can be caused to leave good judgment, abandon good judgment, and come over here and be a child again, making foolish choices with horrible consequences, I understand that this is a foundation issue. Now, this is helpful. When we come to this understanding, it can keep us from just rebuilding the same mess that's destined to fall again. I mean, if this guy who had his house fall over just says, well, that stinks, and he just starts nailing the boards back together and putting the door back up and installing the window again, the next time that provocation comes, the next time that wind comes, it's going to fall. I've spent a good deal of my life just rebuilding the same mess that fell just days before. And I have exhausted tremendous amounts of grace in many relationships, especially in my marriage. I'm sorry, I'll be different. I'm sorry, I want to be different. I'm sorry, I promise you, I'll be different. And then nothing changed. I just kept rebuilding the same house. Because I was fixated on the house, the bricks and the sticks, but what Jesus is saying is, hey, why inconsistent? Let me tell you something, son, about inconsistency. It's a foundational issue. You can build that house over and over and it's just going to fall again. Stop worrying about the house and start working on the foundation. Our foundation is found in a specific place. I want to give you a passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, every aspect of Jesus Christ, my relationship with Jesus Christ is the key to my house not falling down when the wind blows. My relationship, my connection, my surrender to him as king, my sensitivity to his counsel and his direction is what is key to when provocation comes into my life, me not being drawn out of the place of good judgment to abandon all that is godly and all that is productive to step into the place of immaturity and inconsistency leading to those undesirable and destructive consequences. All of those things are ministered to and contingent upon my relationship with Jesus. He is the foundation. That foundation is strengthened when my life is surrendered to Him, to His Word, to His counsel. When my life includes Him through fellowship and through prayer. When my life includes Him through fellowship and prayer with the saints who make up the body of Christ on the earth. When I cut myself off from the saints, when I cut myself off from heaven by, by having no prayer life, when I cut myself off from counsel and direction by closing the Word, I open myself up to being provoked out of good judgment and into those inconsistent and destructive decisions and choices. Inconsistency is a foundation issue. Love is not provoked. Love doesn't move from from sound judgment into foolishness. Love is stable in all of its ways When provocation enters into my life and it draws me from the place of stability to the place of instability, it draws me out of operating in love and into operating in selfishness. Self. I mentioned we're going to find what's needed for revival. Because once again, you know, we can come to these things and think, wow, well, that makes sense and that sounds good. But then again, how or what? How can we get that into our lives? How can I have that in my life? That is an area that needs to be revived. That is a place where there is is corruption or death, and it needs to have the life of God breathed into it so that I can be in that place that I'm called to be. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. I want to read verses uh, 4 through 6. Then I want to make a couple of comments as we move forward. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. It just begins like this. Now, it's speaking of John the Baptist, and it's, it's describing his ministry and his purpose. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley be filled up and every mountain be brought down. The crooked become straight. The rough roads smooth. And all flesh will see the salvation of our God. Now, I want to read that, and I I want to just give you my thoughts on that. I see this declaration of this ministry that's taking place, and I think about this. Uh, First of all, I think, why? I mean, why? If my goal is to reveal my son, Jesus Christ, if I'm God and my goal is to reveal Jesus to the world, Why would I include this ministry? Why would I include John the Baptist? Why would I add moving parts that could just add confusion? Why would I do that? And it is moving parts. And it does add a touch of confusion. When you see at the times they're being recorded, people were going to John saying, John, are you the Messiah? Of course, John (laughs) didn't get his head puffed up and didn't say, well, I might be. What's in it for me? But he said, no, I'm not. He's coming after me. So you have all of these things and you're thinking, well, God, why did you do that? Why add characters? Why not just keep it simple? You got to understand God is absolutely efficient. This has purpose and it has intention and we need to pay attention in order to understand what he's saying and doing. So this making ready, this making a path straight, this bringing every valley up and every mountain down has this wonderful result in verse 6, and all flesh will see the salvation of our God. I think of my life and I think, God, how can I apply this to my life? How could Preston Humphreys be described as one who's had every valley filled up and every mountain brought low so that all of creation could see your salvation through his life? When I think of this, I, I, I think of those things and I see something. I see it visually in my head. When I picture valleys, I, I picture low spots. And when I, I see the mountains, I picture high spots. But then as I begin to see this wave of low and high and low and high, what I see is inconsistent. Highs and lows, highs and lows. For the world to see the salvation of God in and through my life, for the world to see the power of God and the authority of Jesus Christ in and through my life, the highs and lows and highs and lows have to stop. The lows get filled up. The highs get brought down. All of a sudden, consistency becomes the way my life is described. And when consistency enters into my life, the world sees the salvation of God through me, through you. So I consider, what are the inconsistencies in my life? What are the highs and what are the lows? All the lows are the the inferiorities. In the insecurities that exist in my life, and then all the highs, all the arrogance, and all the pride that would exist in my life. These are both obstacles to people seeing Jesus Christ and the power of God through His salvation Uh, in my life. All of these things are a hindrance. The insecurity and the inferiority will block out the wonderful work that Jesus has done in my life, just the same as the arrogance and the pride. God is responding to the low places and the high places to make me, to make you consistent. Filling in the low spots, taking down the high spots. Insecurity. I'll give you a word here that you maybe have not heard in church, but you'll see Paul write about it as he writes to the church at Corinth in Corinthians. He uses the word Belial. It means worthless. And he's contrasting Belial with what has worth, or who has worth rather, and that's Jesus Christ. That worthlessness that can exist in our life to think, well, God would never choose me. I'm just, I'm nobody or, or I'm, I'm these horrible things and I'm this. All of that worthlessness and all that insecurity and all of that inferiority in thinking is absolutely destructive. It's really satanic. And it leads to very, very negative things. I'll give you a, a, a couple of scriptures from the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 27 speaks about that, that worthless thinking. And it's it's the worthless man digs up evil, and his words are a scorching fire. Proverbs six, uh, verse twelve: that a worthless person suffers wickedness, and the one who walks with a perverse mouth. Now we hear these things, and we just think about like cussing and cursing and what we would just call bad words. But the truth is, to confess those inferior things is is really to confess what is negative against what God has called great and wonderful. The value that he's placed upon your life and my life is fantastic, and for us to diminish that value in any way is sinful. The insecurity has got to go, or else there's room for being called out In my life, the provocation that has existed in my life that has pulled and tugged on me and in many times caused me to leave good judgment and step into poor judgment, many times it has come through the door of insecurity. I mean, this is going to be a really juvenile example. But picture a couple of kids on the schoolyard, one provoking another. To make compromised choices or decisions that will probably be regretted, And all he has to do is say, what are you, chicken? Trying to get through the door of insecurity. Do you care about what I think about you so much that you'll abandon good judgment and make poor choices right here and now? I'm going to move through your insecurity to cause you to leave good judgment and make poor choices. It's a really juvenile example, but that example, that principle holds true for us here and now today. Through your insecurities, poor choices and decisions can be made as we abandon good judgment. Those who have been rejected, those who have been hurt, those who have been wounded, those who have known poverty can make compromised choices and decisions because the provocation comes through that insecurity. And then the other side, the mountain side, the, the, the high side that needs to be brought low, Pride. I'll give you a few passages of scripture from the Proverbs. Again, Proverbs 28:25: a prideful man stirs up strife. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit goes before or leads to stumbling. This provocation can try to enter our lives through insecurities, but it also can enter our lives through pride. We're the the exaltation of ourself, the need to maintain a reputation of some sort can lead us to abandon good judgment and make horrible or terrible choices. But when we can see these mountains brought low and these valleys lifted up, when we can have Jesus Christ as our foundation, a consistent foundation, we can stand firm through any provocation and be a people who don't react but people who respond with a prepared response, that which God gives us in his word and leads us into by his spirit. I need that in my life. And I think God's calling that in all of our lives so that we can be a people who reveal his love as we are a people who are not provoked. I'm going to ask Pastor Jared to come and play. And I want to pray over us this morning, trusting and believing God for these things. And if you're there where you're at, you're welcome to put your note-taking material aside there, and I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to step into an opportunity of prayer and trusting and believing God to move among us and minister. But I don't want to rush through it. I want to trust and believe God for something great in each one of our lives. Because I do know that no matter what, I mean, it, regardless of, of age or, or gender or demographics of any kind, provocation is constantly pulling and tugging on every single person, man, woman, or child, trying to pull you away from good judgment. And position you in a place of compromise. Trying to separate you from acting and operating in love, which is stable and consistent. And move you into a place of operating in selfishness. Serving either insecurity or pride. But leading to destructive or frustrating circumstances as a result. I want to ask God by His Spirit to minister to those two things in each one of us. Minister to our insecurities. Minister to our pride. I want to ask God to make those mountains be brought low and those valleys be filled up. He may reveal things to you. He may reveal the source of insecurities in your life, past hurts and rejections and wounds. And I trust that as He reveals those things to you, He leads you and guides you in what to do. It might mean picking up the phone and and forgiving. It it might mean repenting. It it could mean uh, either one of those things. But there's no greater minister in the room right now than the Holy Spirit. And there's absolutely no one, even though I try my hardest to be a close second, there's no one who loves you more than your father himself. And he is desiring to see the mountains brought low, the valleys filled up, so that consistency prevails in our lives and we live our lives unprovoked. So there where you stand, I want to pray, and I'm praying for you. If you want to be in a state of agreement, that's fine. But I want to encourage you to be in in a mentality or a state of of sensitivity, trusting and believing that the Spirit of God will speak to you, will show you or, or guide you or lead you. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the perfection of your love and the call to consistency. We desire to be a people who can live out our lives free from giving in to the provocation that exists in this world, a people given to a prepared response versus a reckless reaction. And right now, we surrender our hearts, we surrender our minds, we surrender our bodies to the ministry of your spirit that you would reveal to us, speak to us, and minister directly to those things that produce the insecurities and the pride that hinder our ability to be consistent. Even now as we stand, let those things be revealed that we might respond. Let there be no interruption, no interference, but let our desire to respond to your word, to surrender to your word, outweigh any temptation to remain in an insecure state or an arrogant or proudful state. We desire to be free from pride, delivered from insecurity, and to come to know the consistency that you've called us to. And let our lives be revealed to this world in the midst of provocation as those lives that will stand in the midst of good judgment not be called out, but remain firm. And let that in and of itself be evangelistic that as this world would see us endure when many fall, they would be drawn to you to receive the same wonderful and powerful ministry. To have every insecurity touched and healed by the presence of your spirit. To have all arrogance and pride dissolved and removed by the presence of your spirit. We ask for these things. And we desire these things. And we surrender to these things coming to pass. For your namesake. For your glory. For the expansion of your kingdom. We thank you and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.